Well, I'm excited about this year's uh, Family Mud Adventure. In fact, I'm declaring this weekend that we're going to have a preacher's wife mud wrestling competition at the end of the, uh, end of the event, so make sure you stay for the whole thing. I love the theme of this year, when things get messy, when things get messy, focus on faith. Friends, we're living in a messy time. But this hasn't just happened in the last three months. We've been living in a messy time since Jesus went back to heaven and he said, the end times begin now. And it's messy. It's messy because we have turned everywhere except to God. What this nation needs today is to return to him, to his ways, to his care, to his commands. And so this morning, I call you to prayer. I call you, if you have not already begun praying daily for our country and for Christians to lead the way, I encourage you to join me now as we bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need to stand in your presence. We need to walk in your will. We need to live in truth, and in love. And so we begin today to ask you for your wisdom. We ask you for your peace. We ask you for your direction, which is clear in your word, on how we're to lead in these troubling times. And so God, give us the fortitude to embrace your power that lives within us, that raised Jesus from the dead, that we can love others that we can turn our hearts and the hearts of this world to the one who holds the answer to it all. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, our Redeemer, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome back to week seven of our series. We have two weeks remaining, three including this one this weekend. If you're joining us for the first time, I'm glad that you're here. I'm very excited about what's been going on in our Walk Like Jesus small groups that happen on Wednesday nights. I'm hearing some amazing, amazing testimonies from people who say that it is and has been changing their life, changing their course. And that's what this series is about. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, verse 1, where it's been six days since Jesus has a discussion with his disciples. You'll remember the discussion. It's when he's telling the disciples in chapter 16, we're going to be in 17, but six days early in chapter 16, Jesus meets with his disciples and he tells them that he's about to go to Jerusalem. And we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, right? A sequence of events are going to take place that are going to take Jesus to his destiny. What God sent him to this planet to do, which was to die on the cross for our sins. And you remember Peter. Peter was always outspoken. You, you never had to wonder what was on his mind. And Peter said these words to Jesus. He said, we're not going to let it happen. Right? You can say whatever you want to, Jesus, but we're not going to let this happen. And it was Jesus who said these somewhat infamous, infamous words. He said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God but the things of man. Now, 
That sounds like a really harsh statement to Peter. Peter who had left everything that was familiar to him to follow Jesus. But I submit to you this was a reality check. Jesus is saying, Peter, you sound an awful lot like Satan did right after I was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. This isn't your play. This is God's play. This is God's plan. This is his way. So you get behind me. Remember, the place for a disciple is where? Out in the lead? No. The place for a disciple is behind the rabbi, the disciple maker. In this case, Jesus. And so Jesus says to Peter, you get behind me. You follow me. You listen. And you will see. It was a call to continue in his journey to be more like Jesus. You know, if you think about it, people who attend worship services and people who fly on airplanes have a lot in common. First, first just, just stick with me for a minute. First, we're both, we're all on a journey, right? Those who are following Jesus who are on a journey. Those who are getting on an airplane who are on an airplane flying to a destination, they're on a journey, most are well-behaved, right? Most are pretty presentable. There's a few in the crowd like Rob whose hair's a little bit out of control. You know, everybody's looking at Rob's hair. I admire the man. Some of you without hair need to talk to him about that. Some doze, right? Others gaze out the window. Somebody said, when are you going to put window coverings on the windows? I find myself gazing out the window, most, if not all, are satisfied with the predictable experience. We say the same thing when we get off the plane as we do when we leave a worship service. That was nice, right? Nice flight, nice worship service, and we're fairly content to come back for the next journey. Unless you're the little boy that asked to meet the pilot. We've, we've all been on the plane, haven't we, when... When the little boy or the little girl enters with their parents, I, we took our girls on a plane a few years ago just so they would have the experience. It, truth be told, it took us longer to get to Disneyland on a plane than it did by car, right? After you have a layover and then the flight gets messed up and it, it took us 14 hours to fly when we could have driven it in 12. But nonetheless, you've been on a plane when that little boy or that little girl comes in, right? And they leave the cockpit door open for a reason. So you can see what's going on in there. You can see what the pilot sees. And that little boy that walks in and his, his face looks that way and he, he sees the pilot's face, right? And the pilot looks at the mom and the mom looks at the pilot and the pilot says, if it's okay, he can come with me. And the boy, with grand excitement on his face, he enters the cockpit, right? And he sees all of the, all the gauges, all of the controls. The pilot sets him up in the seat, and he sees out the window. He, he sees what's ahead. He sees what the pilot is going to see. And he returns to his seat changed, right? His face is aglow. All the other kids are clamoring, I, I want to go, and I want to meet the pilot too. And when the flight is over, he's not just content, but he's still holding those wings that the pilot gave him. And he is so glad that he met the pilot. It changed everything about the journey. Well, six days after that discussion between Jesus and Peter, Jesus makes the decision to take Peter someplace, to take him to the cockpit, 
to take him to the control room, to take him to see God. I want you to look in chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus takes with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There, was a trans- there, there Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah. Now, if you're not familiar with this, Moses has been dead for 1,500 years. God buried him himself. But here he is, very much alive, very recognizable. Elijah, Elijah's been called up to heaven five, 600 years earlier, still alive. But here he is, back from heaven. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you want, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen, listen to him. Here's my question for you seven weeks into this series this journey to be more like Jesus. Do you, have, do you have in mind the things of God? Or do you have in your mind the things of men? Are you like the little boy on the airplane? Have you come to that point in your journey at some point? At some point in time, have you come to that point in your journey where you ask, I want to meet, I want to meet him. I want to meet the pilot. Because once you've met the pilot, it should change everything about you, beginning with the expression on your face. Let's go back and look at verse 1. Now, the words of Matthew here presuppose something. They presuppose a decision on the part of Jesus to go intentionally to stand in the presence of God. I want you to notice it doesn't say that Jesus woke up one day, just happened to be the sixth day, Jesus woke up and he looked at his calendar and said, oh, I I forgot, today's the day to go meet with Jesus. In in today's terms, Jesus didn't wake up one day and say, well, it's it's Sunday and it's cloudy outside, there's nothing else on the calendar, so, so how about we go to church as a family, right? Jesus didn't wake up one day and say, hey, Hey, there's nothing else going on. It's Tuesday night. We were at the lake all weekend. And so let's let's tune into the service and and let's watch it on YouTube. I'm so glad they record that now so we can be gone. No. We know this trip up the mountain was intentional because Jesus made preparations. Jesus, he chose his companions. He chose the route. He knew it would take time because the mountain was some distance away. He chose the path. He chose the path they would follow that had to be the right path. They had to stay on the right road to get to their destination. And by the time they got to that mountaintop, Jesus knew something. He knew their hearts would be ready for the encounter of a lifetime. Do you do the same? Do you prepare for this time of worship, this encounter with God? 
What paths do you take throughout the other six days of the week to lead you up this, this mountain to his presence? Do you come prepared to stand in the presence of God to hear him speak? Have you come asking even as you logged in to the service online or, or as you walked through those doors, did you come saying, God, I want to see you today. I want to sit in the cockpit with you today. Because if you do, it will transform you. Look at verse 2. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. His appearance, his entire appearance was changed. His face specifically became bright like the sun. The first nine years of my Ministry was bivocational. That meant that I worked a full-time job, and then I served in the church. We've got some other pastors in here who have lived their entire life working a full-time job and been serving churches all, all their life on the weekends and on the weeknights. And that's how I spent the first nine years. I was a worship minister, a worship pastor. Some of you are like, oh, man, that had to have been wonderful. But it was it was something that I was called to do that was so outside of me that I had to depend on God, very much like the last 15 years of preaching. But throughout the week, I would have to prepare intensely, not, not just rehearsing the songs, but getting ready to stand in his presence and, and to let him lead me so that I could lead others. I had to deal with the things that you guys deal with at the office. I worked a tough, tough job during those days. And then when I came to the office at church or when I came to the weekend, there, there were many, many other obstacles that I had to overcome, this one being the biggest. But there was something about it. There was something about those three services back-to-back -back on Sunday morning. When standing before a group of people with my knees knocking and air coursing through my lungs, God did something. I couldn't help but smile. It wasn't something that I could manufacture on my own. You can tell when someone's manufacturing that. But what he did through me was nothing less than amazing in that he changed my face. Let me ask you. God desires to take your face. Those exposed and memorable parts of this body, our faces. God desires to take our face and use it to reflect his goodness. Do you? Will you? Paul said, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness, becoming like Jesus with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. God invites us to see his face so that he can change ours. Now, the transformation is not, is not easy. In fact, we battle it back and forth. God, God wants to wipe away the wrinkles and, 
And we bring wrinkles all the time by the expressions of doubt and worry and fear. We look in the mirror and we see shadows of shame and doubt, but he, he wants to change our face to reflect his grace and the trust that we have in him. He wants to relax clenched jaws and, and he loves to take tears of despair and, and turn them into tears of peace. How? How? Through, through worship. We continue to define worship and here's another layer for you to consider this weekend. Worship is the journey of enlarging my vision of God by stepping into the cockpit of his presence to see where he sits and how he works. Now, six days after writing this and, and putting it on the computer back there, I, I would modify it a little bit more even. Worships the journey of enlarging our vision of God by stepping into the cockpit of his presence where we can see what he sees. <laughs> when we begin to catch a glimpse of where he's going. When we're concerned about his gauges and his controls, not everybody else's. A vibrant, shining face is the mark of one who has stood in God's presence. How do I know? Moses experienced it. Remember Moses on the, on the mountain? When he came down, his face was aglow. Oh, he covered it up because it was fading fast. But in that moment, in those few days to follow of that encounter, Moses' face was aglow. Remember Stephen in the New Testament? Look at Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 9. I think it's more long. Acts chapter 9. Stephen, when he was persecuted for his faith, faith, when he was stoned, he saw a glimpse of heaven and his face lit up just like Christ did. Listen, our face can light up too and there's more. Not only does God change the face of those who ask to meet him, God changes those who watch us meet him. Notice Jesus didn't go alone. To the mountaintop. He took three guys with him Peter, James, and John. Peter saw it all happen and he couldn't contain his response. Mark says in his account, in his gospel, Peter spoke out of fear. Luke says Peter spoke out of ignorance. So Peter did that a lot. But no matter the reason, what's important is Peter spoke. Peter wanted to do something in response to this experience. In verse 4, Lord, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll put up three tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He wanted to do something for God. But he just wasn't really on target yet as to what God was looking for. What was God looking for? Was he looking for a tent to reside in? That had already happened back in the Old Testament, the tent of meeting. What was he looking for? He was looking for hearts to live in. The same place he's looking for today. He's looking for your life, your heart, and my heart. Why was Peter moved? Because he saw the transfigured face of Christ. David said of God, he said, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise. Many will see and put their trust in him. 
Jesus brought his friends to see the mark change in his face as he stood in the presence of God. Now, I'm challenged by this. And I hope you are too beyond this moment. Now, I'm known for a lot of things. The staff know me for my grunts. My brother-in-law's too. In fact, they make fun of me. Sarah walks in the room. I go, hmm. They know what that means, right? They're on me just, just like that. I've explained all my grunts to you. But I'm also, I'm also known for having the Colbert confused look on my face. It's that. <laughs> right? Sarah, Sarah's like, you got that look. You look just like your dad. <laughs> I'm known for having the face of disappointment. I'm known for having the frustrated face. I'm known for the constipated face. I'm known for the face of worry. But mostly, I'm known for a serious face. And those closest to me, they don't hesitate to ask me, what's on your mind today? Kyle Newby, after he went on and on back there about how long my sermon was last night, he walked over to me this morning. He said, said you okay? You tired? Because I had that, yeah, Kyle, I'm tired, tired of you making fun of how long I'm preaching. <laughs> On a serious note, Kyle, I appreciate you. You have been here every weekend this year. Not once have you missed an opportunity to be in the house of the Lord, even when we encourage other people to be away. But people ask me, what's that look? What's that look about? On your face. What does your face say? You see, when I think about the look that people see on my face, when I think about the faces that people see on me, many times they see my face when I've let something else, even for a moment, distract my view of God. Right? Right? Isn't that what it is? When worry takes over your face, you're looking at something else besides God? When disappointment comes on your face, isn't it because you're looking in your mind's eye at something else besides him? These are the times that I've lost sight for a moment that God's in charge, not me. I've lost sight for a moment that God will bring the pieces together in time, just not my time. I want it right now. I want it yesterday. That I'm not alone in whatever the situation is. And I have felt alone many times this year. But I'm not alone unless I've pushed him out. Because he's promised to always be there. Let me ask you, what do your children see in your face? What do your grandchildren see in your face? Do they see the same excitement here? is when you go to a basketball game. I'll tell you what, if you guys were at a basketball game right now, they would take your ticket back from you and excuse you from the game. <laughs> it's not getting it. There's nowhere in the book that says we can't cheer. There's nowhere in the book that says we can't raise our hands in worship. There's nowhere in the book, there's nowhere in the book that we're to sit silently. Do your kids see the same excitement as you prepare for worship as you do for a vacation? Do they see you hungry to see the face of the Father or, or content to, to get off 
the ride on Sunday and come back maybe the next week. Matthew then records for us the very words of God in verse 5. As the disciples stood there seeing Jesus' face glowing, Peter, right? He was out gathering sticks, wanting to build a tent. In verse 5, God spoke. And he said, this is my son whom I am pleased. Listen to him. I submit to you that our worship, our worship isn't just to be experiential It's to be life-changing. Now, that was an experience. When you talk about having a mountaintop experience, to see people back from the dead, to see Jesus lit up like a firecracker, right? That's a mountaintop experience. But what's God say here? Listen. Listen. It's more than the experience. Listen to him. I want to give you four very simple but significant takeaways. The first is this. In this journey to be more like Jesus, live every day planning to see God. Live every day. Every day. Plan to see God. Don't settle for going through life whimsically, meaning, well, I wonder what today's going to bring. Or I can't wait to get through this and get on to better things. But choose the path that leads you to him every day. Don't get off the path. Don't get distracted. There are distractions all around us. And one of the most disappointing things about this so-called pandemic and all this stuff that's going on in our streets around the world today is we've been distracted from the most important person that there is. The most important call to our lives. Don't get distracted. Plan for it. Pray for it. Anticipate the next turn. Know it like the back of your hand. Expect to see God. How do you do that? It starts by setting Saturday and Sunday aside to come and be with others who are on the same journey. Set the time aside. Don't wake up and look at your calendar and say, oh, this looks like a good time to go. It looks convenient. Plan for it. Set it aside. Come and hear the stories of others' encounters. You can see it on their face, right? Think about this. Think about the people who have cancer. Think about the people who have cancer that you have seen over the last three or four years who don't miss a weekend. Isn't that the person that you want to sit next to? Think about the person who was singing behind you. I could hear you all singing this weekend. You must have listened online last night. But think about that person that you've heard singing like there's nobody else in the room. Now, they may sound like a a foghorn. But isn't that the person that you want to sit next to, that you want to worship next to, who, is, who has to be standing in the presence of God to sing that loud and to be that awful? Right? Look for the person in their 60s or their 70s or their 80s who smiled at you coming through the door and asks them. Ask them why they could no longer stay away from the gathering. It'll change you. 
Read the Wednesday blog in advance of coming out on Saturday or Sunday and ask God to begin speaking to you then. Don't let anything else take precedence over you being in God's presence, but live every day planning to see him. Second, ask to have the mind of God, not the mind of man. Ask him. How many of you have asked him before you posted something on Facebook this week? How many of you have asked him if he wanted you to change the screen? How many of you have asked him before you decided to to go and be part of something that, that you've never been a part of before, that you've never really cared much about before, but this week something just moved you to do it? How many of you went and asked him first? God, how do you feel about justice and injustice? God, how do you feel about racism? God, how do you feel about prejudice? What do you want me to know about life? What do you want me to know about marriage? What do you think about love? What does your word say about parenting and worship and finance? See the difference? Ask to meet the pilot. Seek his face in all things. Get the cockpit perspective. Stop looking at all the other gauges and look at his. Look at the controls that he's put in place. Ask to see through his window the perspective of what's ahead and what it takes to get there. Know his promises. Know his track record. He hadn't wrecked a plane yet. And he never will. There was a time when I thought you were a successful pastor if people lined up to hear you speak. But the first couple years I knew that wasn't going to happen. I used to think you were a successful pastor if if your calendar was filled every day with people asking you theological questions. I run from theological questions, doctrinal issues. Real success, I believe, is when a pastor has taught his people how to find the answer in God's word. Real success is when you see people coming into the worship service asking to see the pilot not a performance, who look to his word instead of looking to a man or Facebook for the answers. When they see God at work and they run to him because they know that that's where they want to be. They don't want to be hiding out. They don't want to be five miles behind him. I'm going to be right there with him. Third, God invites us to look. God invites us to see his face so that he can change ours. He uses our uncovered faces to display his glory. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of, lot of uses for our faces. <laughs> but I can't imagine a better one than to reflect the glory of of God. I want you to notice on that mountain, Jesus didn't say a word. 
He didn't say a word. But God, God lit up his face like the sun. When someone asked me today, what's on your mind? When Kyle asked me this morning, I immediately said, there I go, God, again. I've let my pride, I've let my whatever come between me and you and seeing your face. Show me your glory. Show me your face. What a privilege it is, God, to stand in your presence. Now, of course, there are things in life that concern us, that cause us to furrow our brow, that cause us to cry, that cause us to become frustrated. But only for as long as these things take our focus. They shouldn't consume our day. They shouldn't affect our choices. They certainly should not diminish our hope. They should point us to seek his face, to look for him and stand in his presence right in the midst of the challenge. I want you to remember, remember where we started today. Jesus has just told the disciples that he'd be going to Jerusalem where he would give his life. Elijah and Moses, why were they there on that mountain, friends? They were there to say, Jesus, please keep going. Our salvation depends on you, Jesus. Did you ever think about that? Jesus died once and for all for sins of the past. As much as he died for you, he died for Moses and for Elijah. They were there to plea with Jesus to fulfill his purpose. It wouldn't be long and Jesus would be on his knees praying so intensely that the sweat glands of his would bleed. Yet in God's presence, his face was radiant. <laughs> and ours can be too when we stay in his presence. And finally, we invite others to see him by being with him ourselves. When people see us with him, trusting him, changed by him, committed to him, worshiping him, what do they want to see? They want to see the pilot too. They want to go. Let the, your children see the invitation in your eyes. <laughs> Let them see it in your choices, in your face, in your action, in your lack of boredom, your lack of scowling, your lack of fear, your lack of marking time. They're watching and people are watching. People are watching and it brings them to a response to have him dwell in their heart and their lives too. Last Thursday, last Thursday a week, I'll remember it for quite some time, but last Thursday a week, the pressure of the last three months caught up with me and I failed to contain my emotions and my disappointment. I was sitting right down here and I blasted all of the disappointment over the last few months, all of the expectations that I had that weren't met. Now, there wasn't a thing that I said that wasn't true. Not a thing. I'll never lie. You can ask my wife. I lied once 16 years ago, and I'll never lie. 
It was all true. But my heart was jacked up. My vision of God had been blocked, just like yours has at times. And all I could see was the negative. I was so messed up I didn't want to go home that way because I've done that before and that doesn't, doesn't work well. And so I did what I've told you to do. I set out to visit. <laughs> and I chose a couple. I chose a couple that I've gotten to know over the last two years. Don't know them as well as I should. But that day I drove from here. I drove straight over to their house. Now I've visited their house three times and the first two times they were never home, or at least they didn't come to the door. And this time I knocked, knocked on the door. She came to the door in an apron. She was making banana nut bread. He was taking an afternoon nap where I wished I could be. And she said, oh, no, you got to come in. She woke him up, met me in the kitchen. And we sat there and we, we small talked. I, I pretended that, that everything was good and and just sat there in the kitchen. And then they asked me, how, how did you become a preacher? We, we've heard this about what you used to do. or how, how, how Memphis? And I said, well, that's a long story. And it is. I said, I'll give you the short version. 40 minutes later. <laughs> 40 minutes later, here's what happened. As I recounted my journey. My flight. The times that I went to the cockpit, not the times that I tried to fly it, but the times that I went to the pilot, the times that I lined my life up with his controls, when I flew with him according to his gauges, as I recounted that story, my countenance changed. Not just my face. This part changed. And I became a little bit more like him. Right now in this moment, do you need the same? The world sure does. The world sure does. But I have a feeling you do too. I think you do too. And so I simply ask you, do you want to meet him? You can come with me. I, I hope you've been with me this morning. I hope you've seen more than this. I hope you haven't just been doing that. Thank goodness I didn't see any of you do this, because this morning I would have woke you up. <laughs> Next week, go back to it. Are you ready to meet him? Will you say with me again, God, show me your glory? <laughs> not, not for the experience, right? Don't, don't go home and say, oh, that, that was just a great, that's just a great experience. Go home changed. Go home changed. So much so that your little girls see a difference in you. So much so that your spouse falls in love with you again. Let's stand.
Make this song your prayer. This morning as we stand in your presence, we have the same, the same privilege that Peter, James, and John did because you're here. You've promised your presence where two or three are gathered together in your name, and there's a bunch of us. There's a bunch watching online too, and you're here. Father, we want to see what you see. We want to align our condition our predicament, our fears, our anxieties, our joys, the things that we celebrate, we want to align them up with your gauges. Help us. Help us, God. Yes, we're turning to you. Forgive us, God, for the times that we've not. We repent of that. We're turning from all of those things that I've just mentioned and more. And we're turning to you. Show us again your face that we wouldn't lose sight this time. That we would take our next step in confidence of your word. Have you seen it? Have you seen his glory, his face? Brandon is such a student of the word and I'm so grateful that he and David and others read my sermons before I get up here because they tweak them and they make them so much better and Brandon said remember remember how Peter described this encounter with the pilot in his letter to us you've got to remind people he said that that what the gospels talk about are reinforced later in the letters from these men these letters to us. But listen, Peter wrote, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories, right? I told you about the power, didn't I? And he says, I've seen the power. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. And every one of us should be eyewitnesses. Our faces should show it. Our courage should show it. Our response to this jacked up world should show it. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice Have you heard his voice today that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain? Friend, my prayer for us today is that we leave today saying we were with him, we heard his voice, we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. But it should change everything about us. There should be a marked difference from this point forward. And that marked difference begins when we say, I surrender. I'm not going to build you a tent. I'm going to let you in this one. 
I'll go into that watery grave of baptism. I'm not too proud now that I'm 60 years old. I don't care what my heritage has told me. I want you here forever. If that's your need, come. As we continue to say, I want to step in.